The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, episode 817 for Monday, June 1st, 2020. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, the show where we take all the stuff you send in. Tips, cool stuff found, questions. We add them to an agenda. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. We share our cool stuff found and our tips because the goal is for each and every single one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include mintmobile.com slash MGG, Textexpander.com slash podcast and mac.cashfly.com. We'll talk about all three of those URLs and what they mean to you and why you've even already visited them. Uh, because if you know Mac Geek Gab, you know that it's our job, at least with the sponsors, to just generate some interest. It's whether it's up to you whether or not uh, between you and the sponsor, whether or not you actually uh, you know buy anything from them. Uh, but just up to us to generate some interest. So visiting their URLs, we're doing our job. So thank you for that. For now, uh, here in Durham, New Hampshire, as uh, those of you on the YouTube and Facebook live uh, streams can see, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? Good. Good. Got my uh, Hawaiian blend, something new. Your, oh, Hawaiian blend coffee, huh? All right. Well. <laughs> yeah, I think it may be Blue Mountain. I think that's what it was called. Okay. I was out there once. Huh. Yeah, it's good coffee, good soil. I, I, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm drinking uh, the uh, the Tension Tamer Tea because it has some ginseng in it, which I like. So adds a little sparkle to the day without any jitters. So it's good. All right. Uh, but we like to add knowledge to the day, and that's what we're here for. So we will start with Stefan, who tells us of a thing. He says... Uh, uh, wait, where am I here? Yeah, I thought, oh, did you know that in preview on the Mac, you can hit the back tick key to enable a magnifier feature. Hitting back tick again disables the magnifier. Useful for quickly zooming in on something without having to zoom the entire document. I had no idea this feature existed, says Stefan, and I could say the same thing. I had no idea. It's pretty cool. It it just creates a like a floating zoom magnifier kind of thing. Just it's the it's the back tick key on my Apple keyboard. It's below the escape key and above the tab key. It's kind of in the upper left there. That's mm -hmm. that's the back tick. So yeah, that's a pretty cool one, Stefan. I this is what we love about quick tips. So thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. I bet you he found that by fumble fingering. <laughs> that I would tend to I, sure. Yeah. 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 That's like, those are the things that come up, right? You, you mm -hmm. accidentally, and then you're like, wait, how do I turn it off? So yeah. How did I do that thing? I just did that. I want to do again. That I want to, yeah. How, how do I control this new magic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Thank you for sending that in. Peter sends in uh, a, a quick little tip. He says uh, in mail, you can, uh, uh, select when composing a new message in mail, selecting all or part of the text first, and then holding down uh, command option 
And then the quote mark, which is the other tick, right? It's the, the apostrophe, really. So command option apostrophe, which is the one next to the return key, uh, he says gets rid of or reduces quote levels of the highlighted text. And then you can go the other direction, of course, with command apostrophe. So the option key is the difference here. So command apostrophe adds a quote level. Uh, command option apostrophe removes a quote level from text, which can be really handy if you're like if you're highlighting a, a segment of, a, a you know, an email trail or something and it's got 16 you know, quote delineators in front of it and really you only need just the one uh, using that little trick. The command option uh, quote thing can uh, single quote can can make a difference. So, yeah, thanks for that, Peter. I like it. It's good stuff. I assume that one I assume you knew about, John, right? Um, No, no. no oh, see, there you go. That's the yeah, well, the sometimes when you get a long email thread, yeah, you may want to reduce the uh, reduce that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I know it is good. Yeah. All right. A couple more quick tips. This next one from Dale, uh, who says, uh, you can right click on your Mac desktop and choose take picture or scan using your iPhone or iPad. The phone will automatically straighten skewed images when using it as a scanner. Uh, this will then send the images to your Mac and you can uh, change your desktop picture or do whatever you like with those with those images. So I've used this in mail before where you can, you know, insert from the phone, but I never knew that you could just right click on the desktop and do that. But uh, but there it is. It's you know, if I right click on my Catalina desktop, it says import from iPhone or iPad. And then I've got a list of my iOS devices that are within range. I guess I've got an iPad over there at the drums. So, uh Yeah. And you can add, I can take a photo, I can scan documents, and it says I can even add a sketch from my phone, which I'm not going to do right now, John, because uh, I happen to be busy recording a show. a show. Well, you know, sometimes it happens, right? <clears throat> All right. Yeah, I seem to recall seeing that option in a menu in an app. But it's, I, I think it's in mail me later. is where, mail oh, is where okay. I've used it. But, oh, I think preview too, maybe, maybe in preview. Or it could be preview. Yeah, but but certainly I've used it in mail to bring in pictures, you know, if I need to scan something and email it to someone, I can just do it right there. No, so, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So in mail, file, import from phone, and then I see my phone and various options. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. Cool. 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 Thank you, Dale. Good stuff. All right. Terry, uh, if I've set this up right, has... Uh, has something to share with us, and I will do that. Hey there, John and Dave, and possibly Pilot Pete. Uh, Terry here with a quick tip related to a comment you guys had for Mike back in episode 815. He was asking about command tab and which monitor the uh, apps, the running apps, would appear on in a multi-monitor situation. You got into a discussion about whether you were using displays as separate spaces. In other words, having a menu bar on either the Mac or possibly the external monitor. And there was a quick tip there that you guys didn't get into. I thought you might, but you didn't bring it up. So I thought I would share it here. So in this scenario, let's say you have a MacBook and you've got an external monitor and you maybe don't like where that menu bar happens to be and we have displays as separate spaces turned off so that menu bar is on one monitor only. What you can do 
is come into System Preferences, Displays, and Arrangements, and you'll see two little blue rectangles representing your Max monitor and your external monitor. One of those has a little white bar on it. You can actually grab that with your mouse and drag it between monitors. And with this, you can decide which monitor you want your toolbar to live on. So it's a small thing, but it may make a difference for somebody. Hope this helps, guys. Thanks, Terry. Yeah, that's a great one. You're, and you're obviously totally right that that by you get to pick where the menu bar is. That's been in Mac OS for a very, very long time. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what is this thing? And and then, of course, you know, you start dragging it around. And you're like, oh, I understand. Now I know what this thing is. Yeah. So thank you for that, that Terry. Great stuff. Any other quick tips from you, Mr. Braun, before we get into, we've actually got a couple of listeners helping guide us and our consultant listening brethren uh, on some, on what they're doing with social distancing uh, in terms of getting to customers. So we can get into that unless you've got a quick tip or two to share, Mr. Braun. Um, I mentioned this to you. I had a, a Twitter hiccup earlier this week. Okay. And I'll just give people a potential solution. So, uh, as some people probably know, Twitter uses their own t.co service to uh, resolve URLs. Yep. Um, but I had an occasion earlier in the week where I was clicking on links in my Twitter client, which is Twitterific, which uh, I think okay. is a good one. Um, and it redirected me to an IP address and said, uh, I can't find this. And I'm like, what? I'm like what what is causing this but everything else was working i was getting mail i could surf it was just this one specific thing sure here's what the problem was and and then i you know i started scratching my head and then i realized what it was um ultra dns was having a problem um because that's what the page i went to said it was like hi this is ultra dns and and i can't figure this out sure um as it turns out my primary uh, DNS that I had set up on my Eero was, yes, you guessed it, alter DNS. So I ran name bench from the command line and redid my, you know, it's, it's something you may want to do anyways, mm. just to, um, just to uh, make sure you got the fastest server. So I scratched that and now I'm set up. I think my, my first one is Google and my second one is, is my ISP. So. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised for you. I mean, and, and this is the beauty of using something like Namebench. And Namebench still works as long as you do it from the command line. Is that right? Yeah, the, the version that had a GUI at some point, something was messed up and it wouldn't display the results. Okay, it, it would, it used to display the results. It would generate an HTML page and then load it in your browser. And then you could see, you know, what it recommended yep. and, and the results of the stats. And then at some point they broke that. And the problem is finding that file was like near impossible. It Got was very it. deep in the file system somewhere. So if you have a package manager to try it out, compile it and, uh, you know, just see what it thinks your best DNS is. Yeah. Um, does like, does like, can, brew install name bench work is that essentially what it is i don't want to mess with it uh, right now but pretty sure okay. yeah I, I i use a cakewalk oh uh, right yeah 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 okay i'll put i'll put pilot. a link to cakewalk there too yeah yeah good okay cool cool all right um 
That's yeah. It's it's interesting. I'm surprised because Google's DNS for me is generally quite a bit slower than Cloudflare's. Uh, hmm. But you know, I mean, that's the that's the beauty of uh, of being able to test it. Is it is different for mm-hmm. all of us. There is no universal thing. So yeah. Cool. And uh, thank you to Alex in our chat room at live.macgeekab.com for confirming that Homebrew does, in fact, call it uh, name bench all lowercase. So uh, theoretically, uh, brew install name branch would name bench. Easy for me to say would uh, would do it. So cool. All right. Uh, we have comments from two of our listeners uh, that I sort of asked about this because I, I wanted to I was curious. Uh, the first is from Peter. And who is a consultant of sorts. He's a piano tuner. So he, like those of us that go into people's homes to work on their computers, he goes into work on their pianos, but it's a very similar thing. In fact, there's keyboards involved in both. And sometimes you need to get out the hardware and uh, crack the thing open and, and do some work uh, with in Peter's scenario. Generally though, it, the, the hardware upon which he is working cannot be brought back to his office. Uh, it's just not feeds right. Yeah, exactly. Not uh, easily. Not easily. So I, I found uh, this is why I uh, kind of wanted to dig into it with him. And, uh, and I know Peter, in fact, Peter is, is our piano tuner here too. So, uh, so I've, I've, I've experienced his work though, not in the last few months. And Peter says, uh, I do the usual. I wear a mask. I wear gloves, which can be a problem sometimes when working on the action of the pianos. He says, uh, I ask my clients to social distance. I ask them uh, to write a check, not cash, or even better, use something like Venmo. He says, uh, I could do more, but but that's that's what I've been doing. And he says, oh, yes, of course. I wash my hands when I enter and before I leave the house, and I carry what's left of my Purell bottle and use that after I leave also, at least before I touch my face. He says, I tried sanitizing my tools, but it was a lot of trouble to do that constantly. So unless the tool is touching a part of the piano that the customers will touch, which he says is not likely, uh, that's not something I bother with. He says, I do tell them to wipe the keys after I'm done with a small amount of hand sanitizer and then immediately wipe again with a damp rag so as not to damage the keys. So thank you for that, Peter. That's, that's, that's helpful, man. It's, it's good. And I'm glad to hear you're staying safe and, and yet still able to do some work. Uh, we checked in with Ari out uh, in the Bay Area, who is also a consultant, and uh, and he said uh, we've been pushing for remote support as much as possible, which of course is great. You know, using something uh, even like like you know the, the the one built into FaceTime or Zoom can let you do it, or um, you know TeamViewer, any of those, right? Uh, and he says, and if that doesn't work in a scenario where we can't do remote support, we offer a no contact pickup and drop off service and then do the work back at our office. Uh, he says, if push comes to shove, we can work on site with gloves and masks. So in a similar way to what, what Peter described. So uh, thanks for sharing that, Ari. Makes sense. And, and remembering that, yeah, remote support as much as possible and then. Uh, you know, no contact pickup and drop drop off makes sense. I mean, I've, we've been doing that with like takeout food. We'll get to a, mm-hmm. a restaurant and I, you know, I, my, my car has a, a, I can pop my, I've got a Subaru Outback, right? So I can pop the back of it with a button in the car and I can close the back with that same button. So we back in, we open the trunk, uh, they put the food in, we say, thank you. Uh, then we close it up and drive away. And uh, you know, that's, 
that's uh, keeps keeps everybody at a distance. So, so yeah, that no contact thing can definitely apply mm -hmm. to tech support. So thank you for that, Ari. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, in the uh. in the chat room, Kiwi Graham is saying. Uh, we have only been visiting client sites on the condition of only one other person in the office. Ah, that's, yeah, I can, sure. Yeah, limit the limit the opportunity for any potential exposure. I like it. That's smart. That's smart. Cool. Thank you for sharing, everybody. It's helpful. Hopefully it helps uh, some of you folks too. So thoughts, and Mr. I got a, yeah? I got a tip for Peter. Mm. I think he's probably heard this one before, but um, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. <laughs> I, you know, my guess is this is the first time Peter's ever heard that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. An album by uh, REO Speedwagon for those not in the know. It is a good album by REO Speedwagon. Yeah. Mm. Those guys, man, those guys knew how to write songs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, let's go. Let's answer some questions. Shall we, Mr. Braun? Indeed. Okay, cool. We'll start with Lou. Lou says, uh, I've had an issue with Spotlight Search since I upgraded to Catalina. The only time Spotlight Search finds a term in a timely manner is when I type an application's name when results are immediate. Any other searches, search term can take up to a minute to locate if at all. Sometimes nothing is returned for a file that I know exists. It makes no difference whether the file resides on my hard drive or in iCloud. On the other hand, searches in the Finder return results immediately wherever the file is located. I know I could do all my searches in the Finder, but Spotlight is so much more convenient when it's working properly. I've rebuilt Spotlight a number of times, and nothing is excluded in the Privacy tab of Spotlight's system pre preference pane. I've hoped, uh, yeah, I've hoped each macOS update would fix the issue, but no such luck. A combo update didn't fix it either. I've run out of options, so I turn to you guys. Any assistance would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so this is interesting, and he is. He's running, well, at the time he sent this in, 10.15.4, so presumably he's updated to 10.15.5, right? It, it, that came out recently, right? No? <clears throat> yes. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should talk about that, too. I didn't even put that on the list because I haven't updated this machine. I tried to, uh, but we'll stick with this. So the only thing that comes to mind, the, if I were there, what would I do next, uh, approach? And that honestly is, is kind of how John and I approach all of your questions is, you know, when it's something like this where you've tried several things and it's like, well, okay, what would, what would we do next? The beauty of, of a question like this is there were about four quick tips for troubleshooting this problem baked right into Lou's question because Lou has already tried a few great things like rebuilding spotlight and making sure to check that privacy tab in, in the spotlight preference pane to make sure you're not omitting anything. Like those things are all the right steps to take. Absolutely. So it's, what would we do next? And the, the first thing I can think of John is not just rebuilding the spotlight database, but deleting the spotlight database and forcing not just the contents, but the database files themselves to be built from scratch. If the database files and their indexes have become damaged, that can cause all manner of weird problems, including potentially what, what Lou is seeing here. So, uh, you know, deleting those files, which causes spotlight to just recreate them out of, you know, from scratch can really help. Uh, you know, damage, damage databases are a thing. So 
so that's that's my that's my first thought. Unfortunately, it's kind of my only thought. I don't I, I don't know what I would do next if that didn't work, but I'm sure I'd find something. What do you think, Mr. Braun? Um, speaking of the privacy tab, I thought at one point one of Apple's recommendations to clear database was to actually drag a hard drive into that area and then get rid of it, and that would also initiate basically what you just talked about which is the you know running that command from the terminal well no it that would remove the data from that drive from the spotlight database and then put it back in but it doesn't remove the like the shell of the database itself the foundation of those files and we've certainly seen you know like that's that's so that's the minor difference and there is a command we'll put it in the show notes but it's sudo mdutil dash capital e and then a slash that Mm -hmm. um that base MD util is the utility that, that the terminal command that manipulates the spotlight database and dash E means erase and then slash means your root drive. Really it all erase spotlight databases everywhere, which in this case is I think the right thing. And then it'll take a little while, you know, it might actually, it might take even, you know, 30 minutes to an hour to, uh, to, to get those, you know, databases rebuilt, but it'll, it'll keep you posted on that. So. Any more yeah, thoughts what on else? This? Yeah. I think. And if you are, if it is re-indexing, I think if you bring up Spotlight with command space bar and it is indexing, I think it'll show you a little progress bar in that window. I'm I not think sure where th- else you can get the progress. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And finally, I think Onyx has a little checkbox to clear that out. So if you're if you want to rebuild things, uh, maybe check that box on Onyx and maybe check a few more. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the maintenance tab in Onyx there. Yeah. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, all right. Gary has a question that I have no doubt will lead to an ongoing conversation, but Gary says, uh, A friend mentioned a browser that I had not yet heard of called Brave at Brave.com. And he says, uh, have you guys ever done a browser review segment? I use Firefox, Gary says, for most things and Safari for some others. I bagged up Chrome and put it away because it was a memory hog. He says, I also have Opera, but almost never use that. Any thoughts about Edge? Uh, he says, Firefox plays those videos that Mr. Jobs didn't like, the uh, Flash videos, of course. Uh, he says, I'd like to hear what both of you think and do a plus minus comparison. Are some better uh, if you turn something off, extensions, ad blockers, etc." cetera? Uh, and he says, so uh, curious what you guys think. So, yeah, I, I'll, I'll kind of go through my thought process on browsers. I do try to stay up to date on things. I don't always, you know, integrate the latest into my workflow because I spend so much of my life in a browser. I need it to be reliable. And because of that, Safari is my default on all of my devices, largely because of how battery efficient it is, how how power efficient it is. And on a laptop, of course, that matters from a battery perspective, but it's not perfect. Safari will, you know, I think this is kind of all browsers be a memory hog. Uh, And so as I've mentioned on the show many times, I use Marco Arment's Quitter app. It's a free app. Uh, I just leave it running. It sits in the menu bar. And it, you can set it to either hide or quit an app after X number of minutes of 
inactivity for that specific app. So it's not like a sleep timer where your entire Mac needs to be inactive. It's, you know, if, if I, if I spend, and I have Safari set to 180 minutes. So really it's rare that I would be at my Mac for three hours and not touch Safari. So it's basically to force it to quit overnight. But if, for example, I was at my Mac working in mail and, uh, you know, and maybe BB edit doing some coding or whatever, uh, Safari could quit right out from underneath me. And that's fine. I do that with several apps and browsers are, are among them. So, uh, but other than, you know, other than that, Safari is great for me. Chrome is, you know, I would consider Chrome the number two. It is, I would say Chrome is the most compatible browser these days, just because it's, it's kind of built to be that way. You know, um, it's, very popular on Android. It's, you know, very popular amongst Mac users. It's certainly the, the number two browser we see visiting Mac observer. Uh, so that Chrome becomes my number two Firefox though, is a very close number three for me. Um, you know, I, I would consider Firefox to be the generic alternative browser. It's not embedded by default on any, you know, platform. It's like Safari with Apple or Android with, with, um, Chrome with Android. Uh, but the new thing that, that Firefox has added their own secure DNS, you know, we were talking about DNS before that's really interesting uh, where Firefox by default now will not use your systems DNS. It will use its own secure DNS, which, which is really interesting. Um, and you can choose which one it uses by going into Firefox's. I think it's in the, it's either in the security or the network preferences. Uh, but, but you know, it's, it's interesting. And so the DNS queries are all secure coming from Firefox by default. You can turn it off and have it use the systems DNS, but otherwise it defaults to using, um, you know, a secure connection to like Cloudflare or, or something like that, which is interesting again, but it can cause some troubleshooting issues. If you're trying to, for example, do some troubleshooting like you were John and, and if Firefox is, is getting in the way, it's getting in the way. I have not used Edge much from Microsoft. Um, Brave, I have only messed with a little bit, but we have a lot of people visiting Mac Observer with it. We signed up for the Brave Rewards and we get like, they they block a lot of ads and then they collect money from some Brave users and spread that around to the publishers that that those users visit. It's it's imperfect, but you know, it's, they're, they're trying their best. Uh, I guess the, I don't know. Well, I've, I've got others on my mind, John, but what, what do you use? Um, I think my world is similar to yours. So uh, Safari is pretty much my default browser for just yep. about everything. Um, like you, I've noticed and you know, every now and then it'll, it'll give you an alert on a page saying, Hey, this page is consuming a lot of juice. You may sure. Close it. Or I had to reload this page because they're doing something stupid. Yep. Um, so it's good for that. Um, I've very rarely I'll have things that do not work in Safari for whatever reason. Sure. I think the last thing it was uh, a gift card. I think a BJ's gift card. And I went to their site and I typed in the card number and it's supposed to report the, uh, the amount of money left. And it gave me like some three Oh something HTTP error. And I'm like, what, how yeah. hard can this be? Yeah. Um, Went to Firefox and it worked just fine. Hmm. So for things that don't work in Safari, my next one is Firefox. Um, the other thing I like about Firefox is the wealth of add-ons or 
I guess they call them add-ons. Um, yeah, I think that's one right. One thing that bugs yeah. me about Safari is that, as far as I can tell, there is no video capture add-on or extension, uh, if we're speaking Safari language. So I use Firefox when I need to uh, capture some video um, as well. And when you say capture some video, you, you don't mean like a screen capture. You mean download some video. I mean download the video, yeah. yeah. That, that they have various plugins that will detect if you're on YouTube or something and say, hey, here's here's this video. You want to download it? Got it. Uh, oh, I, you uh, know, I always forget about that. I use uh, I use the command line. I use the YouTube-DL uh, app on the oh. command line. It, it, and you can install it with brew, brew install, YouTube-DL. Oh, I'll have to try that out. Okay. And you just, you put the URL in and it can be a Facebook. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just have to be YouTube. It can be Facebook and anything else. And it, it, it pretty much just goes and gets it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I will caution people. Most URLs that have videos will have some sort of parameters at the end of them. And that mm -hmm. will break things on the command line. If you just do say YouTube-DL space and then paste it in paste it in inside of quotes. So that process would be YouTube dash DL space quote, paste it in end quote, enter, and then it, it'll, it'll grab it. So it's a, it, your solution is probably a whole lot more efficient than mine, John, but you know, um, that the nice part about this is if I have a big video, I'm going to download, I can just use the terminal and go navigate to say the downloads, the videos directory on my disk station, and then mm. YouTube DL will just slurp it right down to there and, and even bypass my downloads folder and not fill up my drive and, you know, all mm -hmm. that stuff. So I don't know. It's, I'm in the terminal all the time. So it's, it's a little yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would do at times, um, though I prefer using a, a add-on, was that if you, uh, Safari, if you view the source and you can, and you can uh, glean what the URL is of the file, typically it'll end with like .mp4 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you can paste that in the command, or, or I think you can, maybe you can't do that anymore, but you used to be able to paste it into the Safari, uh, you know, the address bar and then do a download. And just download from there. Yeah, a lot of videos are not, don't work that way anymore. Um, right, right. right. You know, like YouTube doesn't just give you a URL to a video file. It, it wants to control the, when it sends mm -hmm. you the next bit so that it manages bandwidth and all of that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, cool. Other browsers that you use? Uh, Chrome, I only use for our video thing. Mm -hmm. Edge, I have installed, but I really haven't had a reason to uh, use it. Um, I mean, I used to run, I mean, back in the, in the dark ages when they had Internet Explorer. Sure. Um, I, me I still remember the battle days when you would go to pages and they'd be like, oh, well, you have to be running IE right. to uh, render this. And it's like, why? Why? It's yeah. HTML, man. Yeah. It should be, any browser should be able to consume this page. The but day that we were it. able to stop worrying about supporting IE6 uh, at Mac Observer was a really good day. Yeah, it, it it was just, it it got to be this, you know, a legacy thing that didn't work like any other modern browser at the time. And so the day that we made the executive mm -hmm. decision, like, all right, it's, you know, less than a half a percent of our, our traffic is coming from this. Like, it's okay to stop worrying about it. Uh, it was a good day. So... Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, there, there is one other, you, you know, Tor browser 
uh, is the, and I'll, I'll put a link to that one in the, in the show notes. Cause it's not, I'll put a link to all of them cause it's what we do. But uh, Tor browser is in uh, an onion. It's the onion router is what TOR stands for. It's at torproject.org. It is the um, distributed secure detached way of browsing, meaning you're not connecting directly to the site, you are using the uh, the onion network or as as it's called the dark net uh and this is the way that kind of works is if i wanted to connect let's say john was running a web server uh i wouldn't connect to john i would connect to uh, a computer that connected to another computer that connected to a computer that then connected to John. So no one knows, no one of those computers knows the full path, right? They just know the path back to the one prior to them. And it, and it couldn't be even longer than that, but you've got the entrance nodes and the exit nodes from that, that network. And, and so that way it's much slower as you might imagine with all those hops, but it is, it does allow for, I mean, it's, it's like a VPN on rails, right? Because no one really knows, uh, it does obscure where I'm coming from, but it obscures who I am um, and can and it can be very helpful. I mean, a if you if you need or, or want privacy, but also for people that are in in places where access to certain websites are are blocked. This is yet another way to get there. And and if there's anything you you choose to browse on the dark web, this is the simplest way to do that, because sites on the dark web don't use an exit node. They just exist in that cloud, if you will, if you're, I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but, mm -hmm. uh, but so there is the Tor browser out there. It, it's, if you want something even more secure than that, the problem with, with just doing it inside the browser is if the browser, the browser can leak, right? Because if the browser invokes some other system element to just go load a URL, it's not going to go through that path. So you can run an entire operating system that does this, and that's called Tails. Uh, and we'll put a link to that. That gets a little more advanced, but not terribly. You can put it on a USB stick and just boot from it. Um, so, so we'll we'll put that in there too. But those those are the only other two browsers that that sort of come to mind. So, any other thoughts on this, John? Um, one little mini tip here. Yeah, if you uh, in Safari enable the develop menu. Yes. Um, which I think is preferences general. Oh, I thought it was there. Or is it in advance? I think yes. it's in advance. Okay. Preferences so in advance. advance. There's a thing saying show develop menu in the menu bar, and then you'll get a develop menu. Here's part of it that's fun. And I think I've used this in a pinch sometimes, and it will help for those pages that seem to insist on you using a particular browser. There's a user agent uh selection there yep um and as far as i can see here it'll it'll it can impersonate a number of different browsers not just safari on the mac but like here i see safari or iphone ipod touch microsoft edge is listed which is kind of surprised that's why i'm assuming that it just catalogs all the ones that you have installed oh no and no this Chrome is and firefox this doesn't catalog i don't think it catalogs anything i think this is is baked into the safari menu uh in fact oh, i can right. i can nice. confirm that because if i go to develop user agent microsoft edge is there on on this computer and it is not no yeah yeah so this is from apple not from uh you know not not something dynamically generated 
Cool. All right, uh, John. The uh, the next thing I would like to do here is talk about our sponsors, if that's okay by you, my friend. Fantastic. Well, I thought I was going to talk about our sponsors, Mr. Braun, but uh, yet again, I have technical difficulties here. So we will uh, we will answer more questions, and then we'll talk about them in a minute. How's that sound? Why did that not work? This is the weirdest thing. I saw thing. something on the screen. Yeah, you know, no it's this, this video thing that I'm trying to get it all to work together, and, and sometimes mm -hmm. it does, and sometimes it doesn't, and I'm not sure why that didn't work. But uh, we'll just jump to a question, and then we'll come back, because we've, we've got some router stuff to talk about, which I really actually, I like. I like that, too. So we will, we will try that again in a minute. Uh, let's see. Jeff asks, where is Jeff? Now I'm, see, now I'm not prepared for Jeff. But uh, Jeff asks, he says, I need a little advice on improving my Wi-Fi coverage. We just covered our carport with a roof and a few walls, thereby, thereby achieving garage status. I'd like to play around with automated lighting, garage doors, etc. But the Neo Garage is a good 50 feet from our house and our Wi-Fi system, which is uh, uh, the Orbi, the first generation uh, Orbi. Uh, he says we get signal at the garage, but it's sketchy. So I don't understand. I don't know how much I don't know much about Wi-Fi strength, but Googling led me to check my RSSI, which was hovering around negative 70 dBm, which I understand isn't great. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he says, so I have a few options, maybe more if you can think of any. But I was thinking, number one, run Ethernet from the house to the garage. Uh, a bit more time consuming and a long run, probably 70 feet before we got to a place for another satellite. Also, he says those satellite things ain't cheap. And also the run would be very near parallel, uh, very near a parallel set of high power, high voltage, you know, traditional power wires, as well as a wire for charging an electric car if we ever get one. I hear that running Ethernet next to power lines is to be avoided. Number two, I could try a different router system. Is there one with more distance? Number three, uh, live like a savage and operate things up there by touching switches. Oh my goodness. No, no, we, we need to help you avoid that. Uh, any ideas would be appreciated. Of course, Jeff. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's think about this in a couple of different ways. I, I will, I will start with your second question, which is try a different mesh router system. Is there one with more distance? You know, the, the distance is the thing that the Orbi really did well at, especially the backhaul distance. They, they really have that right. And even today, if somebody has an outbuilding, uh, which is essentially what you're describing here, that wants to have, you know, to throw service from the house out to the outbuilding, the simplest one that goes the furthest is Orbi. You certainly could get into Unify, uh, and that may get you there because only because the the Unify systems have like dishes that can be aimed and go miles. In fact, so so there are there are those solutions, and that's something to consider for sure. Uh, the Unify systems from Ubiquity, but in terms of sort of traditional consumer mesh stuff, uh, this is the, the Orbi is is going to deliver the best results because they've got that four by four backhaul, which really can, can form a strong connection over, over a good distance. So, uh, so that would be just that checks that box for now. Uh, in terms of uh, running, running ethernet, that, that's always going to be your best option, especially for something like this. Um, now, as far as running ethernet next to power cables, 
Yes, it's not advised. I wouldn't want to get any electricians in trouble, but I would, uh, I think I can confidently say that if running ethernet next to running low voltage next to high voltage lines caused significant interference, none of you, especially you, John would would be hearing me talk right now. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there might've been a quick little shortcut done, uh, for a length of, of run here in my office building, but I have no, of course I have no knowledge of that. Um, I it really, there, there's a safety concern, right? Is that if a nail goes in and shorts that high voltage to low voltage, you will start blowing up low voltage equipment, you know, your ethernet. If, if you start running, you know, 110 or, or higher, into your ethernet lines by surprise or even intentionally that's going to be bad for devices on either end so that's a big part of it there will be some interference but but nothing in my experience nothing overly significant it's a safety thing and it's it's in building codes for good very good reasons um but if you need to make a shortcut and you do so in a way that can actually be safe maybe that works for you you would not be the first one to say I have one tube running to my garage uh, that's way over there on the property. And by golly, I'm running Ethernet in that tube alongside power cable. You would you would be in, I think, probably very good company. Um, so but, you know, getting that there would be good. Honestly, though, even maybe even simpler than that is putting an Orbi repeater, essentially another Orbi satellite in between the two, if that's possible. Because if you can get it to do multi-hop, that's going to be plenty. I mean, you're not looking to stream, you know, uh, 4K movies to your garage, or maybe you are. But if you're just looking to have a, a consistent connection and the bandwidth just needs to be moderate, a multi-hop thing uh, would, would get you that consistency, I think. So that's, that's my thoughts on it, John. What do you think? I think I'm with you on that. If, okay. if I have my first choice, it would be, yeah, to run some, uh, some ethernet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or the second, yeah, would be to get another node. Now maybe you could save a few bucks. The thing that I was thinking of is that, you know, pretty much any major vendor that makes Wi-Fi stuff also makes extenders. So I'm wondering if just getting a generic extender would do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. So it, it, maybe if you're going to do the ethernet thing to add another satellite out there, but you're worried about the Orbi cost, then I would say if you have an old router around, put that in bridge mode, hang it off the ethernet and put it in your garage, name it something different so that devices don't try and hop around between them because it's really, yes, it's part of your mesh, but not in the sense that it's all managed from the same spot. Cause it's not, you know, you'd be managing it separately, but if you've got it laying around an old, you know, airport thing, or even just, you know, some old Linksys or Netgear router, whatever it was, you know, that would, um, that would work, I think, uh, and, and save you some, some money. If again, if it's something that you just have, uh, in terms of meshing from a, yeah, like, like, or in terms of ex using a traditional extender from a mesh system, you know, John, I don't, I mean, again, if you've got one, I don't see any reason you, in fact, you tried that with your, your Eero setup for a little while, right? You had a TP link extender grabbing mm -hmm. from your Eero, didn't, didn't you? Yeah. The, the thing is I was getting a crummy signal in 
one room, I think because of tile and all that. And, sure. um, yeah. And it was connecting to the nearest one, but it was connecting at 2.4 for whatever reason. Mm. And then I put in that room, a TP link extender, which is both 2.4 and five, Yeah, you know, uh, let it log into the, you know, the network provided the credentials and then I was connecting it five gigahertz and yeah. it was getting better throughput. Now I have the, uh, 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 beacon, which, uh, I think is the better solution, but, uh, you know, the, the beacon that I have, the price was right. And that you, last time you were here, you, you brought one with I you. brought one to you. Right. You had, yeah. I, had I guess extra. you had an extra one. I did. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, but that definitely solved my coverage. And and yeah, looking at, oh gosh, that number that he gave. So I'm looking here, Dave. So if you don't know it, well, you know this, but you know, I'll let our listeners know. Yeah. Uh, Wi-Fi, if you go in the Wi-Fi icon and you click on option, it's going to show you a bunch of statistics about what it's connected to. And I'm looking here, Dave. Oh, seeing as how it's the, the, the my Eero is like right next to it. The RSSI that I'm seeing is negative 32 dBm, which I think is good. That's okay. 70 is like yeah. borderline not going to be That's connected terrible. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at I'm at negative 50 here in the studio, mm -hmm. and the 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 thing is, you know, a floor below me and and kind of the other side of the building here. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, now it's kind of oh. counterintuitive because that number you would think that a bigger number would be better, but it's not. Uh, a smaller number is, is better. Well, because it's negative, right? You want to be closer to zero. Right. Right. It, that, that's how I think of it. I, I mean, cor please correct me if I'm wrong. And, and if uh, feedback at MacGeekab.com is where you would, where you would do those correctings or askings or sharings, whatever it is. Yeah. Dave, did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com? Well, yeah, my, my RSSI is high enough. So I hope everybody heard me <laughs> say feedback at MacGeekab.com. All right. Uh, while we're on the subject of mesh, it really is one of our favorite subjects and we've, we, we just haven't talked about it for a while, but we will be talking about it more because there's some, some new stuff I've been testing, um, including Aruba Network's new entry into the field, which is interesting, but also TrendNet and, and some others, uh, you know, uh, well, well, we'll leave the, the other brand names out of it because there might or might not be some things coming this week. Uh, anyway, uh, Jed writes he says um my sister has a pretty mediocre internet uh, connection and even worse wi-fi i've played around with extenders which worked for a bit but now i think it's time to push her to mesh i personally have eros and can justify the cost for me but i think she will need two beacons and the 400 hundred dollar price tag is a lot to tell someone they need to spend especially right now I remember you mentioned that you were suggesting a different mesh product, but I couldn't recall which ones I looked back in the show notes. Uh, was it the ubiquity or is there a better simple and less expensive mesh that you are liking right now? Yeah, um, for sure. So uh, the, uh, the less expensive mesh options, uh, you know, it, the TP link deco is the one that comes to mind almost immediately anytime somebody says, look, I want to get mesh, but either it's, it's for me and I, you know, I need to be very budget conscious or it's for a family member and they aren't geeky and don't really care about a lot of the things that we might talk about here, you know, TP links decos and they've got several different options in the product line, but the kind of the, the lowest, uh, 
The lowest priced one is a two by two mesh, uh, which is fine. It, it, that's what the original Eros were. Um, a lot of us might still even be using, you know, two radios with two by two things. Uh, they do a great job. I have the OG TP-Link decos in the homes of several family members, and I don't hear anything from them. You know, they just work. Uh, so while they might not have all quite all the bells and whistles, they have some, uh, but they you know might not have everything. This is this is definitely uh, a thing to consider. So the TP-Link Deco would be the way to go for those family members that that you want to get into the mesh game, but don't want to, you know, try and convince them to buy the the absolute best kind of thing. So uh, but, it, but again, I, you know, I don't want to say that it's not good because it really is good. It just doesn't quite have some of those features that we we geeks might might appreciate. But maybe they do. So. That's that's my thought on that, John. I don't know if you have any any other thoughts on that. Uh, I'm still rocking the Euro. Okay. First gen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, it gives me a, yeah, I've, I have no complaints about the uh, throughput that I get. Yeah, right. That's right. You're on, are you on first gen Euros? Just two, dual radio? Is that right? Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I thought we were, I thought we had you on tri-band, but uh, I guess not. All right. Yeah, there no. you go. Well, yeah. Well. Maybe, maybe I should get an upgrade. I don't know. I, well, I mean, but that's the beauty of it, right? If it ain't broke, it right. I mean, you know, the, like if you're getting the bandwidth that you need, uh, it's not going to, you know, that's it. The, the, the extra band is great for if you've got lots of things kind of streaming all at once and, and you want the extra band just for your backhaul. That's really where it gets, um, you know, where it helps, but with you, the way kind of the way you use tech in your house, you're it's you're you're one person. So, you know, maybe and who knows? I mean, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, my Wi-Fi speed. So so my uh, the, the service that I pay for is 200 down. And yep. if I'm on Wi-Fi, I won't necessarily get that level of throughput depending on where I am. Sure. But that's OK, because I typically don't need it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I've often said that 200 down would be plenty for me. Uh, and, and it really was, I think I had maybe 250 or something, but it was only 10 up here because just mm. the way Comcast, you know, offers their tiers. So the only way I could yeah. get anything faster than 10 up was to go to their gigabit plan. But it's like, you know, I mean, occasionally I'll be downloading some software update from Apple and I'll see it coming in at, you know, a hundred megabytes a second. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty mm. cool. But you know, like, is it really, does it, does it matter most of the time? Not even close. So, mm. all right, John, I want to try this again because I would love to talk about our sponsors for today. If that is again, okay with you. Yes. All right. Our first sponsor for today is Text Expander at, of course, textexpander.com slash podcast. I love to be accurate and I'm impatient. So I like to be efficient. I don't like to spend time doing things, especially repetitive things. However, I want it always to be right, or at least as often as I can. And this is what Text Expander lets me do, because what I can do with Text Expander is all those things that I type. It might be email responses for like customer service stuff. It might be for inquiries, you know, in the business, people ask, hey, how does this work? How about advertising on the podcast or something, for example? Well, we've cooked up some replies over the years like you have in your life. And 
instead of digging through my past email and my sent folder to find the one and then copy and paste and send it, that's arguably maybe more efficient than retyping it, but it's fraught with opportunities for disaster and, and inefficiency. I don't have to worry about any of that. I just take that text and put it into text expander, craft it exactly the way I want, and then boom, I'm done. The next time that I have to reply to that email or send out like my mailing address or all of those things that you just type all the time, even driving directions to the house here. You know, when people used to come over, I have that in text expander too, complete with a map and then all I do is invoke it either with a click of a mouse or I have a little keystroke, hence text expander and boom, it expands into this text and then I can send off the email and I don't have to reread it because I know it's right. I know it's exactly what I put in there in the past. And what's cool is text expander updates all your snippets on all your devices so you can use them no matter what device you're on. And then you can make your snippets even more powerful with fill-ins and pop-ups and all that stuff. Text Expander is available for Teams, too, so you can share with everybody, even if you're not in the same office. Go check it out. Go to TextExpander.com slash podcast. That's where you're going to get 20% off your first year of Text Expander for macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Our thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring this episode. Our next sponsor is Mint Mobile at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Look, you know, I got my first cell phone with one of those big wireless providers uh, 20 years ago, maybe more than that. And that monthly bill hasn't left me ever since. And it's big. It's too big, quite frankly, or it was because then I discovered there's another option that can give us that premium service we're used to at a fraction of the cost. I could cut my wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month and save hundreds of dollars a year by switching to mint mobile. And for anyone out there who's looking to save without sacrificing service, switching to mint mobile is a no brainer. We've been using this here at uh, Mac Geek Cab Central in various ways for the last year, maybe even a little bit more. The service has proved to be good everywhere that we've traveled. It just works. The app that they have makes managing everything really easy. You've got to check this out. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus crazy fast 4G LTE. You can use your own phone with Mint Mobile. Of course, uh, you keep all your same phone number and your contacts. It works with visual voicemail and all the Apple stuff that matters. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile's got you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash MGG. Cut your wireless bell down to just 15 bucks a month. One more time at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. Cashfly. You've heard us talk about them for over a decade because... Cashfly is what allows us to get the show from us to you. Well, they also do some other things. They've got a web optimization engine there, and with it, all of your content will be optimized before it's delivered to visitors without requiring any development effort from you. With the recent addition of Cashfly's Flexible Edge application platform and their implementation services, their capabilities reach far beyond those of a traditional CDN that's just pushing data around. 
Their web content optimization solution includes powerful APIs for solving all your content distribution problems, on-the-fly next-gen image optimization, application load balancing, smart asset delivery. Look, if your website is directly tied to your revenue, and it is if you're in business, you want to optimize your site's content to guarantee the best user experience and to make all those search engines happy because your site's responding quickly. The good people at Cashfly are even going to provide a free optimization consultation for listeners of Mac Geek Gab. That's right, just for you. Know exactly where your site stands today with a Lighthouse score report and learn how Cashfly's web optimization solution can help add 60 points instantly to your score. Go to mac.cashfly.com. That's M-A-C.C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Our thanks to Cashfly for getting the show from us to you and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Well, I want to keep talking about routers, if that's all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Unmute. Unmute. Good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steven asks, he says, uh, I know you're always testing various routers. It's true. And you have mentioned the Synology RT2600AC several times as a top pick. Given that it's over three years old, would you buy one today or is it worth waiting for an updated version or is there something else? So, <clears throat> yeah, it like it is the router that I would would buy today for a standalone router. It's truly a fantastic router in terms of how flexible it is. The inbound VPN that you can set up to get back into your own network. It, it it's it, it works with um you know, they've got their own intrusion protection, their own uh, detection systems that leverage all kinds of different things. They've got parental controls. If you want uh, the, the uh, its ability to, you know, manage buffer bloat and all of that, it works out really well, at least for me. Uh, I, yeah, I would, I, I'd still recommend it and I would still buy it. And you, and in fact, it is almost always the router that is sitting at the top of whatever my network is here. You're right that I'm constantly testing different things, but I rarely replace my main router because doing that would require, you know, reconfiguring so many different things that often what I'm doing is just kind of running sub sub networks below that so that I can test. And the kind of the nice part about that is by having, by running a router or a mesh system as a subnetwork, I can actually get above it and truly test speeds in and out of the, of that network uh, in a way that, that, you know, keeps me from having to guess as I'm testing things about things like buffer bloat protection. Cause I can know, all right, well I'm sending data upstream, but really I'm just sending it to me cause I'm on the other side too. Whereas you don't necessarily get to do that um, once it is your main router. So, so yeah, it, it is the router currently that's sitting at the very top of, of the chain here in the house with, with some other things below it as always. So, yeah, that's, that's the one for me. What do you, uh, you, you haven't, you, you don't, you're not as crazy as me, John, is what it comes down to. You don't, you know, I'm just happy with the, uh, yeah, I'm happy with the arrow. Yeah. Oh, as you should be. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's there. The stability of the Eero, especially in terms of its mesh, you know, system, but it, it's a great router. The stability of it continues to amaze me. Uh, as I test all kinds of different things, you know, I'll, 
as the new thing comes out, I'll or or doesn't isn't yet out, which may or may not be the case at the moment. I may, you know, test things from various vendors uh, here. But by and large, I try to live with a, you know, a mesh system from one vendor for at least a couple of months at a time to truly get that, you know, it, it experience, not just how was it for a week kind of thing. I like to forget about it, you know, um, and then see what happens. See if my family complains, see if things happen. And, um, and when the Eero's in place, man, the, the complaints just don't, there's no weirdness and I've got some weird things set up. You know, I've got, my living room is not on an ethernet run, it's on a, a, a mocha run and that can get flaky at times. And depending on how the mesh, how good the mesh is, how robust it is, it can either deal with that or it cannot deal with it. And, uh, and the arrow, you know, when, when that mocha line breaks down, the arrow's like, yeah, we're good. Like I'll, I'll take care of you. So it's a, it, it really is robust. Yeah. I'm, I'm always impressed with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Before this, um, what did I have? It was a choice of someone, but, but the TP link Archer mm. uh, standalone yeah, yeah. at the time was one that I had and I was pretty happy with that. And that's uh, evolved from yes. uh, <clears throat> over the years. Yeah. Yeah. It had, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there for sure. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's stay on the network thing. This is fun. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're doing this. It's been too long. Uh, Ma Mark says recently I was looking to replace a water heater and located a Ream uh, hot water heater or water heater. I guess we don't call it a hot water heater because you wouldn't really need to heat <laughs> well, hot water. People do. But I know. Had to point it out. It's kind of redundant. It is a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, he says I located a Ream water heater and heat. Mark didn't call it a hot water heater. That that's on me. Uh, that could alert me if there were issues. I suspect uh, this device needs internet access to do so and is, in that sense, a typical IoT, Internet of Things device. I have no faith, he says, in Ream being able to secure their devices and want to start building out a home with smart devices. I've refused so far until I could build it first with the proper security. Budget is negotiable, so I'd be willing to spend up to a thousand bucks. He says, I'd like to have the devices logically and physically separated. So I'm thinking that my setup would go from the cable modem to a switch. And from there, I would hang two Wi-Fi routers off the switch. One is for IoT. One is for family devices, perhaps different VLANs. All items would need Internet access, but should stay separate in any other way possible. I'd love to know if you're doing something like this at home and would appreciate any advice, maybe even a deep dive. Um, so I, I would open this up and I would love to hear what other folks are doing here, but there's a few options. The first is that if you have a residential cable modem with residentials or cable modems aren't necessarily residential or commercial, but if you have residential cable service, um, your switch idea would probably not work. It would work from a hardware standpoint, but your normal level of residential service only provides one IP address. And for what you're describing, essentially, you know, bifurcating your signal and having one go for, uh, you know, your IOT stuff and one go for the rest of your stuff. That's not going to work. However, there are some options. Uh, 
because you go, and it wouldn't work only because you only get one IP address. You could see if your cable company will let you have a second IP address, in which case then yes, this, that would work. Um, but there are other options. You could get a business account, which would let certainly let you do that um, and get that extra IP, but you might wind up paying a whole lot more for a whole lot less speed. Um, you could use the guest network on your router in general Guest networks are built to do almost exactly what you're talking about here, where you're offering a Wi-Fi network, but it is isolated <clears throat> as a VLAN from the rest of your devices. So that might well be the, the, a good way to go for you here. Um, and, and that, again, depending on the router and depending on how it's being done, that can be done very well. Most of the mesh products that we've talked about here truly do manage that VLAN as a separate thing, even across the mesh, which is not entirely the easiest thing to implement. Um, so that's another option. Number three that comes to mind is many ISPs will offer you a residential gateway. And that's a device that's not just a cable modem, but is a cable modem, a router, uh, a wireless access point and a switch. And oftentimes we're talking about put that into bridge mode so that you don't have to deal with the, uh, you know, the extra double NAT of that whole thing. However, if you do let that be its own router and Wi-Fi access point and switch, you could connect your IOT devices to that and then hang your personal network off of that. And now everything's going to be fine. You'll, you, you will be inheriting a double NAT setup with that. And you might need to do like, listen to last week's episode when we talked about DMZs and, and managing that, that double NAT in a effective way, but many things now are fine with double NAT. So it might not even be an issue. You might not even need to go back and listen last week. So those are, those are my thoughts on that. But John, I'm curious to, um, I'm curious. I, I, oh, I will say I don't do any of this. I, I really don't think you need to split your Wi-Fi for your IoT devices. What I do think you you should have is a router that is paying attention to what the devices on your network are doing and will report to you when things don't go right. The Synology router that we talked about, the RT2600AC, has this in it. And I do occasionally get reports. Thankfully, I've never had one that's like, oh, my gosh, you know, your whatever your thermostat is is compromised. But I get these little reports from it. Eero, you can sign up for their uh, I forget what the name of the program is, but it's their extra secure thing. I think you pay about 100 bucks a year for it. And that will monitor your your network, including your IoT devices for known threats and heuristics for patterns and things like that. So I really think this is the right way to do this. Uh, I don't think you need to bifurcate your network, but again, it's not like bifurcating your network will solve this problem. It's just, I, I just don't think it's necessary given, given what I'm seeing in today's world. So that's me, Mr. Braun. Um, I would say most, not all, but most of my IO, IOT devices, you know, bulbs and thermostats and all that. Um, I have going through a smart home hub, the uh, Samsung. Smart things. Sure. That could be another consideration if you're thinking of building uh, Internet of Things network is, you know, kind of uh, use that as your firewall, if you will. Though. Yeah. Really act as a firewall. But the thing is, you really, 
the only downside with with any of these you know cloud-based uh smart home hubs is that they're typically cloud-based and if someone figured out my username and password then hooray they'd be able to access all my devices they can turn your lights on and off yeah exactly yep yeah or you know maybe access you know my cameras and stuff and, and there has been reports of vendors who didn't properly protect their login you know like allowing someone to you know just beat up on the right you know, a certain account it's like right yeah and i think that there were cases of this in the past where people were able to get into someone's network because it it'll it you know allowed multiple invalid logins got it yeah, yeah um yeah. right yeah oh for sure oh yeah yeah. Now, the other thing I found, Dave, I haven't run this yet. It's on my phone and I'm trying to recall why I didn't use it. But okay. uh, I found this article. Um, so uh, it came out earlier this year, but um, it's uh, uh, what is it called here? So Carnegie Mellon. So so the guys there, I, I think they know a bit about security and computings, right? <laughs> I, I happen to know. Uh, I happen to know that the multi-touch interface was created at Carnegie Mellon back, I want to mm -hmm. say in the late seventies. And I, I can say this with great confidence because I actually know the guy that created it, uh, Dean Rubine. He's a, he's a neighbor, but yeah, he, yes. Yeah, so yes, Carnegie Mellon oh, nice. has a long history. Yeah. Of this stuff. Yeah. So they have something here that I have, that, that I have installed on my phone and I don't know again why I haven't run it yet. Um, I think it set off some alarms, mm. uh, <laughs> but it's called the internet of things assistant app and it's for ios and android and apparently it gives you a view of what is happening with your various iot devices so mm. i'll have to get back to you on uh, why why i didn't <laughs> run it yeah 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 uh um oh yeah. and the other thing yeah to mention uh, uh uh another device to let you know what's happening uh thingbox i've been pretty happy with uh Totally. Yes. I've been doing it, it, Yeah. Along with uh, it, it, it's similar to Eero in that sometimes I'll have both Eero and Fingbox say, Hey, here's something I haven't seen in a while or I haven't seen before. Yeah. Just thought I'd let you know. Yeah. Um, no, you're totally right. The Fingbox will do some level of that kind of IOT centric security. Cause it's, it's being, I, I, I would assume it operates in what is generally called promiscuous mode. So it's, it's seeing all the traffic on your network and sort of paying attention and trying to report what it does. It's not your routers. So things could get by it, but yeah, that's another, another layer there for sure. Yeah. yeah good thinking, man. Yep. yep. Yeah. It kind of weirded me out when I got it and looking at the setup. Yeah. I, I thought about this too, because I'm like, wait, it only has one ethernet port. How can it monitor all my traffic? Right. I thought it would have two. Yeah, you know, right, right. One, the data goes in and then it, you know, chugs on it and then the data goes out. But right. No, that's not the way it works. So. That That's not the way this works. But, and yeah. that's why things can get past the thing box. Whereas your router, if it's doing that, you know, intrusion protection, uh, intrusion detection mm -hmm. system, IPS, IDS is what that's called uh, or referred to in, in general terms. But yeah, that, um, yeah, that's good. It's good. Cool. All right. One more thing on networks. Is that okay, John, before we get to some cool sure. stuff? Down? Where are we on time? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're basking today. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're at 110. All right. Uh, we will move here then because we're having fun. Andrew uh, brings us to a question. It's 
similar. Uh, he asks, uh, he says, after too much congestion on our home network, we added a Fios 200 by 200 megabit per second uh, residential line to our existing optimum cable vision 200 down 40 up line. So they have what you have and then they've added a, a symmetric 200 by 200 files line to it. He says, we have two people who need very good bandwidth. So are both hardwired and all of our Wi-Fi devices in the house uh, run through a Netgear Wi-Fi router. Here's the question. If we cancel our optimum account, can we somehow configure our Netgear uh, AC 2400 router to do the following? Number one, sandbox about 100 megabits per second up and down for one wired user. So it's almost like they have their own line like it is now. Number two, sandbox another 50 megabits per second or so for the other wired user. And then number three, let all the wireless devices share the other 50 megabits per second up and down. The key, he says, is to not disrupt the quality of service for the two wired users. Um by the way, he says, I can also add 30 bucks to my monthly bill and double my speeds from 200, 200 to 400, 400. Do you see any advantage to this? Well, bragging rights uh, would be the advantage. John and I will both be extremely jealous um, of that. So in a good in a good way that this is the one kind of jealousy that I think is OK. Maybe uh, he says, uh, I think you anyway. Yeah. OK, so these are good questions. Um, so. And that router, no, at least not with its stock firmware. I don't think there's a way to truly segment the traffic that the way you want. Uh, there are routers that would do that. You know, that like the Unify stuff certainly has the ability to to split that up. I don't think I can do it on my Synology router. However, many routers, including probably that Netgear, allow you to prioritize specific devices. And that might be enough here. You know, you're talking about a lot of speed, uh, you know, especially with a 400 megabit per second upstream. You know, there, there's a lot of sort of buffer room, if you will, there. I, I, I think it's worth trying. If you can afford a scenario that's imperfect, potentially imperfect, I think it's worth trying with what you have and just prioritize those devices in the router's priority list. Uh, which again, some routers have, some routers don't, but I think that Netgear router does. And also, even if it doesn't have the priority list, employ the router's QoS settings. Now, QoS is is a broad term. What we're talking about here in terms of segmenting the network and prioritizing devices, that's one kind of QoS, and it it's an important one. QoS being quality of service. The other type of QoS that we more commonly refer to here is the upstream, you know, uh, WAN-based QoS, making sure that the bandwidth available from your internet provider is not being hogged up by any one device. Uh, and it, while that isn't, well, what the way most routers implement that isn't going to let you get as granular as you want. If you do employ that, then you probably will get an experience that is no different from the experience that you want. Meaning Everybody just has bandwidth all the time and and no one person can hog it up and make it slow for everybody else. So I, I think I would try that first because I'm like, I'm not in a dissimilar scenario. Like right now, I need to know that this computer 
is going to have a, a you know a direct line to John without any interruption because we can't have any latent any additional latency. Obviously, there's some. But now also this computer is streaming both to Facebook and YouTube simultaneously, as well as to our, you know, audio stream that we've had forever at live.macgeekab.com. So I need real quality of service here. I also know that at this moment in time, my son is on a Zoom call with a worldwide debate tournament. He also needs good quality, right? Neither one of us can be sacrificed for the other. And as far as I can tell, you know, nobody's beating down my door or anything. So we're not having any problems here. And Neither is he. And I'm not doing any specific segmenting. I'm just building my network in a way that will ensure quality of service for all devices. And, and it seems to work out. So uh, again, I, I think, I think you might be okay, but I, but it, you, you need to test it for sure. So I don't know. What do you think, Mr. Braun? Um, yeah, I don't really deploy quality of service if I needed to though. Yep. Although the Eero, I don't think, really supports it. Um, it does. Well, it, oh, okay. it supports the queuing management for the, the buffer bloat, the upstream stuff, for the, the thing right, I'm talking right. about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your switch, if you have a smart switch, if you have a dumb hmm. switch, then you probably, it probably doesn't have QoS. It oh, just moves. you could But yeah, do the, this. the one that I have... Um, the one that I have does have uh, quality of service settings, uh, but that's, of course, only for hardware devices. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, you so in your scenario, if you just bought a smart switch, which is only going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, maybe um, you could put a router at the top, not your Eero. Uh, and, and I'll explain why in a minute. But you put your router at the top. And and don't turn on if your router has Wi-Fi in it, turn it off so that there's no Wi-Fi signal coming from your router. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got that coming in cable modem to router router to smart switch. Now you you use the smart switch to do your network segmenting. So the two Ethernet lines that each need to have 100 megabits per second or 50 megabits, whatever that is, you segment mm -hmm. those out in the configuration page for the smart switch and you let them have it. And then you hang your Eero in bridge mode off of a third port of the switch and segment that for 50 megabits per second. And now your Wi it, that, that, that would be the way to do this. You're totally right. That, uh, okay. Right. Like, I think that would work. Sure. Yeah. As long as your smart switch lets you have that granular control, which it, it sounds like it does. Which one do you have? You have a TP link smart switch or is it a net gear? Uh, I think it's a TP-Link, but there's lots of them. So yeah, let's log into it. Yeah, it's a TP-Link. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, I search for TP-Link smart switches, and what comes up to put it in the show notes for you all, of course. And what's come, what comes up is the the Casa smart switches for your house, like the the actual like electrical switches, not Ethernet switches. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look at this stuff here. So, so yeah, there's a QOS tab. So it's the TLSG 1024 DE. Okay. But there's a QOS tab and it has, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah. Port based, 802.1P based, whatever that is. DSCP8. Wow. Cool. And then it has bandwidth control and storm control, which I guess is another nice feature to have. Mm. Yeah. Some uh, uh, storm control, I think, is if some device starts barfing data uh, on your network it will limit it and sure actually right now mine is disabled sure. maybe yeah. you should enable it 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. uh, I have some cool stuff found to go through, John. The first is, well, really, it's two things that very much feel like they're built from the same uh, core. And they, these are uh, both Cable Matters and Kensington have these combo Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C hybrid docks. And w w what makes them hybrid is that they can be connected to either a Thunderbolt 3 device or a USB-C host device. Uh, and then from there, you get all kinds of ports with it because that's what a dock is good for. You can with, with these, you can connect two 4K displays, uh, both USB-C and USB 3.1 peripherals. It's got a wired Ethernet port, audio in it. And, and again, it's a Thunderbolt 3 dock. Or if you don't have Thunderbolt 3, it'll connect as, as a USB dock, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah. So, it, and I looked at pricing on these. They have, it's cool that the, it really seems to be built for a laptop just based on the form factor because the fun, the upstream port, if you will, is on what I would call the front of the device. And then uh, it's got a USB, port, uh, you know, outbound port on there. It'll do 60 watts of power delivery. So great for that. And then the gigabit port, another US, two USB-A ports on the back, a USB-C port on the back, um, and then uh, actually two USB-C ports on the back. And uh, for, you know, connection to hard drives, and these are 3.1 ports. Yep. Uh, and then two... Um, display ports on the back so you can connect up to two 4k displays on uh on this so it's a pretty cool thing a again the the models from both cable matters and kensington look to be very very similar so uh, kensington does add their kensington secure uh thing on the side of the case of this dock which m m doesn't surprise me because it's kensington does seem to come with a bit of a price premium though because it looks like i can get the cable matters one for about 200 bucks and the kensington one is 259 so uh, unless you need that security port, the cable matters one is probably going to be the right one for you. But um, but it's a cool little, you know, it's a it's a cool little dock. It does not have the ability to daisy chain Thunderbolt. So it would be the end of that particular line of your Thunderbolt chain. So if you don't need other Thunderbolt devices, fine, you know, hang your, your USB hard drives and all that off of this. But um, but just be aware of that. That's it's obviously been part of the conversation here is intentionally choosing devices so that you know where your Thunderbolt chain would sort of logically end. So anyway, pretty cool. Um, another crazy thing that I've been checking out. Well, first, do you have any questions on that one, John? No. Another crazy thing that I've been checking out. We all like you know, battery packs, right. For our phones. And, and now we can even get battery packs for our computers. Well, defense, uh, took this to the logical, I don't want to say ex extreme, but maybe, uh, at defensebram.com, their defense Titan. Now it's a $300 power station. John, this thing is about the size of a small car battery. It's got, um, a 200 Watts. It's got 224 watt hours of capacity, it's got four USB-C ports on it, three USB-A, one USB-C, and the USB-C can be used for outbound power or inbound power. It has a car, you know, I would call it the cigarette lighter uh, adapter on it that you can connect to things that need to be powered with that. And it's got an AC port on it. Uh, so you can plug in anything that would need AC power 
into this thing uh, and it it's got a 200 watt inverter on it so it can like it can push out a decent amount of power says it'll peak up to 250 which is pretty amazing so if you you know like if you're camping or anything this summer which i know a lot of us are going to wind up doing this would be a handy thing to have especially if you need like to bring your cpap machine or something with you or you know whatever your pumps and all that stuff like this battery it's kind of a cool thing man so I don't know when I, when I first, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, how does this even fit in the show? And then the more I dealt with it, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually kind of the, this is the logical extreme of, of our, all of our battery packs. So I don't know. Pretty good. Huh, John? I like the, um, that it has the, the wall current 120. That, yeah. That's a nice feature. Yeah. Um, and when I looked at it, well, I answered my question by looking at the specs. Um, it weighs 10 pounds, so it's not, yeah. you know, probably it's probably not going to go in your travel bag, but oh, maybe it will. <laughs> Probs. Well, it certainly wouldn't be going in your oh. checked luggage on an airplane. <laughs> oh, right. Cause it's lithium ion. Yeah, it's a lithium ion battery, but you know, for like for camping or even if you're doing like things out in your, you know, I know a lot of us are, are thinking about different ways of using our yards more this summer than we have in the past. And so if you want to bring your projector out in the yard and all of that, like this thing could power it easily. No problem. Uh, and, and charge your phone. That's maybe feeding the movie to the projector. Right. So it's a pretty, uh, I'm like I said, when I first started looking at this thing, I was like, what am I going to use this? And then suddenly in the last week, I was like, wait a minute. I know exactly how me and lots of other people would use something exactly like this. So that's, that's how it made it onto the list of cool stuff found. So anyway, there you go. Uh, I do want to, we had somebody in the chat room a couple of minutes ago, John asked, do you guys have a Patreon set up for Mac geek Cab? And the answer is no with a huge asterisk. And the, the only reason we don't have a Patreon set up is because Patreon didn't exist when you all convinced us to roll out our premium subscription offering. So we kind of sort of rolled our own Patreon style thing. Uh, and you can go to MacGeekUp.com. Uh, you can go to MacGeekUp.com slash premium, which even gets you further. But there's a there's a link at MacGeekUp.com that shows you how it all works. You can contribute a uh, one-time amount. You can contribute on a monthly basis on a six month basis. Really, we kind of try to make it as flexible for you all as you want. And it is a hundred percent voluntary. It does get you access to that premium at MacGeekUp.com email address, which we do prioritize when those come in so that, uh, you know, we're giving you a little something extra, but like I've always said, you know, our goal is for everybody to learn at least five new things. And part of that is we really do try every week and almost always succeed to answer every question that comes in. So, um, so, but if you are in a position to support us and you want to MacGeekUp.com slash premium is where you go. And with that, I would like to go through and uh, talk about the folks whose contributions have come in this week. And that's James from Melville, Joseph from Marietta, Andrew from Piscataway, Monroe from Morgantown, Stephen from Columpton. I think I got that right. Columpton. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, Robert from Columbiana, Stephen from Plainfield, uh, Stephen S., who has had a subscription so long we don't have your address on file, which is okay. Uh, Tim from St. Augustine, somebody from Orlando and don't even know their name. Wow. It's like Mr. X. There you go. Uh, or Miss X. I have no idea. Uh, Les from New Haven, Brent from Philadelphia, 
Michael from Attleboro, Peter from Oslo, David from Gloucester, and Robert from Clearwater. So thank you to all of you whose contributions have come in this week. You rock. All right, John. I think that's all we got. You got anything else, my friend? Or we, uh, we, uh, not at the moment. Okay. You well, never know. Well, you, you never know, but you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, and when you know, you know, I don't know. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So we've told you how to contact us. Go leave us reviews. If you would, please. MacGeekUp.com slash reviews. We would very much like that. And I've seen your reviews come in, including many of you who have sort of gone and edited past reviews that counts too it really helps so macgeekup.com slash reviews john you want to uh is there anywhere else you would like to tell them to visit us um well you know i mentioned the twitters earlier so there's there's always the twitters there you um, go he's dave hamilton i'm john f braun there's also macgeekab mac observer and oh and pilot pete those are all on Twitter. Indeed. So cool. Uh, yeah. All right. That's it. I want to thank all of you for listening, of course, uh, sending in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. That's what keeps the show going. Uh, that's really the fuel that it takes here because without content, it's impossible for any of us to learn things. I mean, I suppose we could just be very meditative and maybe learn some things, but it wouldn't be quite the same. So we'll stick with the path we've been on and, and uh, we'll just keep doing it that way. Unless you unless you think maybe next week we just have you know a meditation all week, John. Is that that's a bad idea, right? <laughs> well, we'll have to come up with a mantra. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, all right. Well, right. everybody, start thinking of your mantras. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to I, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, the ones we mentioned in the episode: TextExpander.com slash podcast, MintMobile.com slash MGG, Cashfly, Mac.Cashfly.com, of course, Barebones.com. Uh, Eero.com slash MGG, Linode.com slash MGG, MaxSales.com. Lots and lots of stuff. It's great. I'm very fortunate to be able to do this. So thank you for making that continue to be possible. John, we're coming up. We are, as of the date this releases, I think only 13 days away from our, our quinceanera, our 15th anniversary. So, good. So, uh, the world is a little crazy here. We're thinking about our mantras. Uh, it's going to take logic and compassion for us all to get through all this crazy stuff. Not necessarily in that order, including compassion for the people we like and the, the people we don't like. So be nice to each other. Maybe that's one mantra, John. Um, be compassionate. Prioritize compassion. That's not a bad mantra, although it's, it's very weird. Do you have a mantra that may be a little more familiar to all of us here, Mr. Braun? You know, I think I know of one. Okay. Uh, assuming that you're allowed to have three syllables, which I think you are. Oh, that sounds nice, actually. So, it sounds relaxing. So if I had a mantra, Dave, yeah. it would be, don't get caught. Made up.